Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 28. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sins, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Well, good morning. Thank you, music team. If you were here Friday night, we left Jesus being put into the grave, hung on the cross, and he died, and he went into the grave. Joseph of Arimathea, was that right? Bought his, took his body down, put him in the grave. But if you go to the tomb this morning, remember the women went to the tomb, and I love this. You're probably going to hear it from me a bunch of times. And the angel sat there and said, why are you here looking for the dead among the living? He is not here. He has risen. He has risen. You can do better than that. He has risen. There we Amen. Praise God. It's good to be together to celebrate that resurrection that really defines our Christianity. I want to take a break in light of the resurrection this morning to look at, take a break from our flyover, I should say, our Old Testament flyover, and, and, and look at one aspect of who Jesus is as a risen Lord. There's a lot of things to look at, a lot of things, a lot of pieces of that to think about, but we've been looking at the Old Testament, Leviticus, Exodus, and all those things. Under the law, a lot of, a lot of parts of that has to do with priests, doesn't it? The tabernacle, and we didn't spend a lot of time on the tabernacle, but the priesthood is a very central part of Israel and who they were. One of the primary duties of the priests has to do with intercession, interceding for the people, offering sacrifices of various sorts throughout the year, and in various ways doing things that intercede for the people, you know, those sacrifices temporarily atoned for the sin that was in their midst, that, by the way, is in our midst, and allowed them to get to God, allowed them to find God. And then once a year, you remember this perhaps, a priest would enter into that holy of holies in the tabernacle and then later in the temple once a year into the presence of God to intercede for the people to atone for the sin of the nation as a whole. 
That was only once a year. It was only one priest. Anything else resulted in death. God took that very seriously. Well, why did they, and by the way, why do we need an intercessor? Let's just ask the Lord as we look at Jesus, our intercessor. Let's, let's ask God to, to, to meet us here. Father, we, we know that you, you are here, God. Thank you that we can come and celebrate the resurrection. And as part of the resurrection, we celebrate that Jesus is our intercessor. I pray that truth would be spoken and that we would understand a little bit more of the peace of, of Jesus' duty as intercessor and we would celebrate his risen life in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why do we need an intercessor at all? Um, the main reason is God is holy. God cannot endure the presence of sin. And sadly, truthfully though, we have not escaped the presence of sin entirely yet. Even as Christians, we're in need of a mediator. We're still in the flesh. We, we can't just be carefree about coming to God. The fact of the matter is we need that intercessor. Now, we don't have the priests and the, the, the sacrifices anymore, do we? Because Jesus became that perfect sacrifice. It wasn't the blood of bulls and goats, which can never, Hebrews says, can never take away sin. But it was a complete and final sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself. And then Jesus, and then Jesus became our intercessor before God. So here's the truth. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we would not have an intercessor. And that means we'd be in trouble. We would not have an intercessor. I'm going to read a lot of different scriptures. A lot of them, come, a lot of them are coming out of Hebrews. And um, you can follow along if you want, or you can just write the scripture down and look at it later, deeper if you'd like. But to start off with Hebrews 7, 24 and 25, it says, Because he remains forever, speaking of, of Christ, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to intercede for them. He lives always to intercede for us. You know, that offering, that, that sacrifice, that death that took the penalty of our sin on the cross, that needs to be emphasized, but that wasn't the end of it. The resurrection, because of the resurrection, he now lives as a permanent high priest at the right hand of God to what? Intercede for us. Right now, this is current, this is present tense, Jesus is alive and interceding for you and for me. So I want to hone in a little bit more on this idea of Jesus, the resurrected Lord. He's alive and he's the intercessor. Let's look at that idea a little bit more. First of all, what is an intercessor? What is an intercessor? You could say it's one who intervenes on behalf of another. An advocate sometimes it's called, or a mediator. It's a, it's a go-between. It's a good defense attorney. We need a go-between. Between us, humans in the flesh, and God 
holy, and divine. Now, Jesus' work of intercession, it's for the Christian. It's for the believer, the one who is trusted in the completeness of his death and his resurrection in order to be saved from eternal damnation. That's where we're all headed. We're all headed to death. We're born into sin, we live in the flesh, and we will die stuck in the flesh and in sin if we don't find and trust Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Salvation, of course, means eternal life. It means entering that zone, if you will, that we were designed, that we were originally created for. And that can be possible. We can have hope beyond sin, beyond this life, because of the work of Christ. Christ alone. If you don't have that today, by the way, if you don't have salvation, don't leave here without asking someone around you, me, any one of us, about that. You need a Savior. Well, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, if you've chosen the way of God, if you're a Christian, you're headed to heaven. We have salvation by grace through faith. But we're still in the flesh, and the Bible teaches us that we we need a go-between. We need someone. We need the great high priest to intercede for us before the holy God. You've uh, You've probably heard of Sacagawea, a young Native American woman who accompanied the Lewis and Clark expedition in the early 1800s as they explored part of the western United States. Sacagawea turned out to be incredibly valuable to the exploration as it traveled westward through the territories of many new Indian tribes. As Clark noted on October 19, 1805, the Indians they encountered were inclined to believe that they were a friendly party when they saw Sacagawea. A war party never traveled with a woman, especially a woman with a baby. Sacagawea was also a critical part of the group as a guide particularly in the regions of now Idaho and Montana, where she had grown up, she had familiarity with that area, even though she'd been captured and removed as a child. But perhaps most significantly, she was invaluable to them as an interpreter. Her knowledge of the Shoshone and the Hidatsu languages was a great help during this exploration journey. In fact, the results of the journey would have looked quite different were it not for her interpretive ability, her ability to translate, to mediate for the expedition corps. She communicated and interpreted for Lewis Lewis and Clark on various occasions. On July, excuse me, in July of 1805, the expedition was traveling up the Missouri River when Sacagawea recognized the three forks of of the river, somewhere she had been with her people before she was taken out of the area. And on August 15, 1805, the expedition encountered the Shoshone tribe. Lewis and Clark arranged for a meeting with the chief, Chief Kamahewat. I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, And Sacagawea served as their translator. As she began interpreting, she realized that this chief was, in fact, her brother. This led to an emotional reunion and actually to the knowledge that most of her people had died in the, the years between, but Sacagawea's connection to that tribe 
and, and her ability to interpret changed the outcome of that meeting with, with that Indian tribe. With her knowledge of their culture and their language, her connection and relationship, her interpretive skills, she put the Shoshone people at ease and she convinced them actually to provide additional guides and horses for the expedition members. So Sacagawea interceded for her party. She related, she interpreted, she had inside knowledge. She interceded for the benefit of the expedition. Now that might be a little incomplete, but I think it's a good picture of an intercessor. Someone who goes between, someone who mediates. We have a great high priest, Jesus. He represents our case and our need. He interprets, if you will, before God himself. First Timothy five, or excuse me, first Timothy two, five and six, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Sacagawea was able to relate to the Shoshone as well as to the expedition party. She understood both languages, both cultures, and Jesus relates to us in humanness, and Jesus relates to God in godness, if you will. With both, he becomes the perfect intercessor. He is capable and relatable in divinity. He is sympathetic and understanding in humanity. So what exactly does Jesus' ministry of intercession look like? What kind of practically, what are we talking about? What is he doing in interceding for us? Well, it's unique. It's not exactly like Sacagawea or any other thing you might think of. But remember under the, the Mosaic Covenant that we've been looking at out of the Old Testament, the priest would enter that Holy of Holies once a year, as we said, to mediate for the people. No one else dared enter. Only God dwelt there on the mercy seat. But then Jesus came and Jesus died. And do you remember what happened to the Holy of Holies at the moment of Jesus' death? That big, heavy, you could call it a blackout curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the sanctuary, from the rest of the society. It tore from top to bottom. It exposed the Holy of Holies to anyone who might look. Hebrews 9.24 tells us that Christ didn't enter the sanctuary made with hands, that Holy of Holies in the, in the tabernacle or in the temple. According to the verse 9.24, it says that was just a model. It's now been done away with. Remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law. It's now been done away with. Instead, Hebrews 9 says he entered heaven itself so that he may now appear in the presence of God for us. The great thing is we now have access to God. Through Christ to God, that curtain, we don't need that. We can come to God. We don't need priests. We don't need the Holy of Holies. Personally, we can access God through our intercessor. Romans 8, 34 says that he died, he, he, had been, he has been raised, and then it says he is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So what is intercession? We recognize that he is at the right hand of God himself, 
in the true holy of holies, if you will. He is without sin in the presence of God. We recognize that he is there on our behalf to intercede for us. We have access to God. And we recognize that this is current. This is going on right now. You know, that word translated intercession that we've just read a few verses in the New Testament that we see translated intercession, it seems to refer to making specific requests for someone, not just simply to represent them, but to bring specific petitions and pleas. In other words, to pray. Jesus prays for us. I'm not sure exactly how this works, but a large part of what is meant by intercession is that Jesus comes to God and he prays, he pleads, he petitions God on behalf of us. Isn't that something to celebrate on a resurrection morning? He has been raised and he currently is active on our behalf. Theologian Wayne Grudem sums this up and he says that Jesus continually lives in the presence of God to make specific requests and to bring specific petitions before God on our behalf. He's, he's defining intercession, that Jesus continually lives in the presence of God to make specific requests and to bring specific petitions before God on our behalf. So what kind of prayers? What kind of prayers is Jesus interceding for with us in mind? When Jesus was still alive on the earth before he died and was raised, he started this ministry of intercession for us and for the disciples in that day. You can turn to John chapter 17, and here you see him praying for us. In verse 20, we know that, that it wasn't just for those in, in that time and culture, but it, he, it says in verse 20, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their, the disciples' word. Who's that? Well, it includes us, most certainly. Jesus lives, he is risen to intercede, to pray for us, us sitting right here, to lead us into the presence of God. Let's look at a few points out of John 17 that Jesus prays about with us in mind. First of all, you can see that Jesus prays for protection, and that you can find that in verses 11 through 15, maybe some other areas in that prayer as well. Jesus prays for protection, and I think when he prays for protection, He's also emphasizing security. See if you can follow that as we, as we look at this. Our intercessor prays for protection from the world around us. He says that we're not of this world, and he prays against the influences of the world. He also prays for protection against the devil. The devil's said to be our accuser, isn't he? Accuser. Satan brings accusations against us to the throne of God. He brings our unworthiness before God. But... Here's the great thing. No condemnation will stick. Because why? Because Jesus is right there interceding for us, reminding God, if you will, that we are clothed in his righteousness. In, the, in other words, we are secure in our salvation. We are clothed in Jesus, not in those words of unworthiness, those accusations. Jude says that he, he is the one 
able to bring us into the presence of God without blemish or fault. Now, we have blemishes and faults, don't we? But not as we're justified in Christ. That's Jude verse 24. He is able to bring us into the presence of God without blemish or fault. So Jesus, our go-between, is praying for our protection and he's emphasizing security and salvation through his righteousness. 1 John 2, 1, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's encouraging the believers not to sin, but he says if anyone does sin, you've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus. He's the righteous one. He stands in the gap between us and a holy God. He stands in the gap. Hebrews six nineteen. we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That's your hope. Today, you are firm and secure because of the intercess- intercessory work of Jesus. There's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. Jesus intercedes and he emphasizes your security as he prays for protection. In John 17, we also see that Jesus prays for sanctification, especially there in verse 17. Our salvation, it's secure, but by sanctification, we're talking about the process of God making us holy, of changing us. It's the ongoing nature of our salvation right here and right now. The Holy Spirit does this as we submit ourselves to him. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us as we submit ourselves to him. Our intercessor, Jesus, is continually praying for our growth, for our character development in holiness, that we would become who we were meant to be. This is that ongoing process. In Hebrews 5, verse 2, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and who are going astray, since he also is clothed in weakness. Did you hear that? There's the intercession. He also is clothed in weakness. He is capable and relatable in divinity, but he's sympathetic and understanding in humanity. I think as you read through Hebrews, one of the things the author is attempting to communicate to us as we think about Jesus as the intercessor, as the great high priest, is that we have the ability and we should approach the throne of God with confidence. We should come to God confidently seeking help and seeking growth. That is the process of sanctification. Hebrews 4, 16, we should come to the throne of grace with boldness to receive mercy and grace to help us in, the t- in our time of need. Hebrews ten nineteen and 20, parts of it, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Christ, he's assuming, the author's assuming we have that boldness through the blood of Christ And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a heart full of assurance and faith. So today, you have confidence. If you're in Christ, you can draw near to the throne of God himself. Don't be afraid. We have access to God. Jesus is perfectly interceding for our growth. And it's not that God is against us, but we need that intercession because of our flesh. As we enter into that process, as we approach God with assurance and confidence, holding fast to our confession, 
we can find God and we can find change and growth. In John 17, Jesus also prays for unity. It's one of the emphases you see there in the chapter throughout John 17. It's an important point for us to emphasize. He's taking that to the Father, that idea of unity. The prayer is that we would be united together. Also, that we would be united with Christ. And then he says, even as you and I, Father, are united. That's his prayer, that we would find unity just like something like the Trinity is united. I don't think we're quite there yet, but unity should be one of our deep goals as we reflect upon Jesus interceding for that cause. There's a lot in the New Testament concerning unity, and that all is wrapped around love, love for one another. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, for example, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus intercedes on our behalf for unity and for love in our midst. He's behind that as we strive to love one another. You could consider this part of our sanctification too if you'd like. One last thing that I want to point out out of John 17 as Jesus prays in the flesh. He's praying there with the disciples It's a prayer in regard to our glorification. Now glorification, by that we mean that final piece of salvation. It's full salvation, either when Christ comes for us or when we die and go to be with him. And you can see it in 24, verse 24. Jesus says he wants us to be with him. He wants us to experience his glory Jesus is interceding for that, for our glorification. He's praying for that. He looks forward to us being with him. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. So that thing that Jesus is praying about, that he's interceding with his father somehow for us, it's all based upon his faithfulness our salvation, and then our glorification. It's based upon the faithfulness of God. So the risen Lord intercedes. He prays for our glorification. Hebrews 9, 28, So also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. This time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus prays for us. He prays for our final glorification. It reminds us, that a day is coming when recompense will be handed out. If you're not found in Christ, as the words of this passage just said, if you're not found waiting for him, the second death is waiting for you. But if you are in Christ, if he is your savior, savior, your mediator, you have that great hope. You have life. So, Jesus is risen, and he lives to intercede for us today. He is interceding. He is praying for us before the Father. And I I think his prayers go beyond these things we've seen in John chapter 17. 
Think about it. What are some other points that Jesus intercedes for you in? He hears your need. He hears your petition. And he, if you will, translates these to God on your behalf. Yeah, I think we should take, we can take great comfort in the fact that we have a go-between. We have what we need. We should be encouraged and we should be grateful that we have that mediator exactly where it's needed. There's a story from the time of Abraham Lincoln, a guard at the White House by the name of William Crook saw a woman talking to the president's son, Tad, who was a boy, outside the White House. The woman told Tad that her little boys and girls were starving because their father was shut up in prison and couldn't work to earn them food. So little Tad ran to his father with the story. President Lincoln was sitting at his desk with a lot of papers that he had to read through and a lot of work to be done. And with almost an absent look on his face, he said, he said he would look into the case as soon as he had time. But Tad would have none of it. He clung to his father's knees and he begged and he begged that the man might be released until Lincoln finally agreed. Tad then jumped up and ran back and told the woman that her husband would be set free. She blessed Tad and she cried and Tad cried and the guard, William Crook, said he had to cry a little bit too. Your, your name, your need has been mentioned in the halls of heaven. It's being spoken of even now, you could, you could say, to God on high. Jesus is interceding for you. We have access to God himself. So as we bring our struggles to him, as we enter his presence humbly, Jesus is interceding for us. You know, <clears throat> you can think in your, in, in, in your own mind, what's your greatest fear? What is your greatest need? What kind of struggle are you dealing with? What kind of sin, what kind of guilt keeps you awake at night? Whatever it is, if you walked past the bedroom door and, and the door was ajar and you caught a glimpse of Jesus down on his knees praying, interceding with the Father for you, for that very fear, that very need, that very struggle, would that give you some confidence? I think something like that is going on. Take assurance. Jesus is interceding for you. He loves you. And he's holding you securely. He is everything you need. It's happening even now. The risen Lord lives to intercede for us. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, I guess all we can really do is say thank you. And we do. We just come together. We say thank you, God, for your mercy for your great love that even though we cannot approach you in the flesh, you love us enough to send a Savior and then to provide a priest, an intercessor, who lives forever, a perfect place for him, a mediator, a go-between. We need it and we have it because of your great love. Let us be encouraged by that. And let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence in our time of need, which is pretty much every day.
let us come with assurance, knowing that we're secure in the righteousness of Christ. And again, thank you, God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.